Well, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, or on your phone or your devices, we're going to be speaking this morning out of John 6. And a few weeks ago, I uh, had the opportunity just to go away for, for a week. I just, I just frankly was really tired um, and just needed to get away and just spend some time with God and just uh, spend some time alone. I am, I am a true introvert in terms of how I recharge and being all by myself is generally how I recharge. And so when I was away, you know, I just had some great, great time of rest, but I also had a great time just with God and being able just to hear from him and let him speak to me. And one of the things, there was two really profound things for me when I was away. One of them I'm going to preach on this morning, but the, the, uh, the two things were just, well, the, the first one that I'm not preaching on, but I, I want to bring it up for us. So it's interesting in Matthew 25, Matthew 24 and 25, they talk about, you know, they're talking about the destruction of the temple. They're talking about the re return of Jesus. And at the end of Jesus talking about, you know, the name is written in the book. Yes. And so it's the, it's good. It's this very interesting thing in Matthew 25 when, you know, where we, we often, we, we rec we look at stuff about the end times and we look at, at, you know, what Jesus is saying there, but we, we look, oh, we bypass what he's talking about in terms of what it looks like to be one of his followers. And the interesting thing in that chapter, he doesn't go, well, you know, based on, on your belief in me. He didn't say those that believed in me, those were my followers. He actually says that those that, that, you know, clothed me when I was naked, those that fed me when I was hungry, those that gave a drink to me when I was thirsty, those that visited me in prison, those that were there for me, those are, are the, 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 the sheep. Those are the ones that followed me. Those are the ones that knew me. There's this incredible thing in following Jesus that it actually looks like something. And it's so important because we can get caught up in the wrong things. Like, well, it's just about belief. But if we, if we go, if we take belief the way we do in the Western world from a Greek understanding where it's just about knowledge, then we miss the very thing that Jesus would have meant by talking about belief. Because in Hebrew culture, belief went beyond knowing something in your head. It was what you walked out in your life. If you believed something, you lived something. It changed how you acted. It changed how you lived. It changed how you were. It wasn't just information in your head. It was a lifestyle based on what you believed. And Jesus describes, it's like, hey, if you actually know me and you follow me, this will look like your life changing. You will take care of one another. The thing that Jesus said over and over when he talked about the, the greatest command. It's like your greatest command is the first to love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit. And then to love your neighbor as your, yourself. And this command for community to love one another, to take care of one another, is that is if we follow Jesus, then it looks like something. It looks like us actually loving our neighbor. And now... 
often we can take the scripture, if you look at Matthew 25 and some of the things that it says there, we can misinterpret it and go look for a homeless person on the street or go look for someone in need and bypass our brothers and sisters to go and try to find someone somewhere in need by our definition. And, and not that taking care of someone that's homeless or someone that we see out there that's in need is a bad thing. We should, anyone that comes across, that we encounter, that where there's a need and we can help, we should do that. Because our Father in Heaven would do that. But it's not that we need to go out there and find someone. In actual fact, Jesus would have been talking about his followers. He would have been talking about, hey, taking care of those, the least of those around you, in your the community, the followers amongst you. He would have been referring to other disciples of Jesus. And so this thing of community is so important. Church is not meant to breathe, and, and, and unfortunately in many cases, and it was actually incredibly convicting for me when uh, this scripture was brought to mind. It was actually uh, a couple of wonderful people, Peter and Elizabeth, that just mentioned that scripture to me in passing when we were, were having a conversation, but God just gripped me with it. And I had to ask and say, are we doing that well as a community? Am I doing that well? And I had to actually come to the conclusion that the business of church, the organization of church was taking over too much. And I wasn't having an, I, I would making in my own mind going, I don't have time for that. And there's something wrong when how we do church makes us too busy to actually live as disciples. And there's an interesting thing in our culture, in Western culture. North American culture, where, you know, I mean, right now, if I look at the emails that come across my desk and all these different things, it'll talk about, like, oh, we're going to have a great online presence. And we do have an online presence because there's people that can't be here. But you know what? I I'm, not, I I'm not a celebrity preacher. I don't have a million-dollar budget, and, and I can't try to be that for us to have this amazing production quality. And it was interesting, I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine uh, uh, who leads another church in the area, and he was saying, oh yeah, it's amazing, we got this great big new front door, and all these people watching us online, but I have no idea how to actually take those people that are watching us online and actually incorporate them into community. And if we get focused on the wrong things, we can get focused on the quality of the preaching, the quality of the worship, what's the production like, what's the venue like, what's our meeting like. I'll tell you, the thing that most excites me about the fact that we can meet at Cineplex Odeon is that we can be together. That we can see one another. We can talk to one another. We can say, how are you doing? It's the things that we can't do. If it was just about a good preach, we could all watch it online. But it's not just about a good preach. It's about a bunch of people together in community with one another, knowing how each other's doing, seeing each other's face, even if it's behind a face shield or a face mask, being able to ask the question, how are you? How are you doing today? It's about us connecting with one another, loving one another, being, being connected together with one another. And so, you know, even in this crazy COVID time, may we not lose community. You know, may we make every effort we can in the busyness of life, in the craziness of the world, which is not the kingdom. Don't mix up the world and the kingdom because the world will burn you out, keep you busy, and make, give you no time for anybody else around you. But kingdom, God's kingdom, his reign over your life will reorder priorities and you go, well, hold on. 
Hold on, I need, I need, we need one another. We need each other. We need to take care of each other. Regardless of what's going on around us. Regardless of, of how busy. I'll slow my life down so I have more time for other people. Slow my life down so that I have time for community and connection with others. Well, this was not my preach. So, I will get there now. If my... One second here. One, two, two. Okay. So, John 6. So, the other profound thing when I was away is I just... I rewatched the Gospel of John, the movie. And it just... I've seen it probably, I don't know, like 10 times, that movie, at least. I've read the Gospel of John, I don't know how many times. And it jumped out for me in a whole new way. And what jumped out for me was just how Jesus kept repeating the same thing over and over and over and over again to, his, to, the, to those he was trying to, to teach. He just kept saying the simple message, you know, come to me. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the shepherd. So I'm saying, it's me. What you need is me. When I say me, I'm not saying James. What you need is Jesus. It's what the very thing that we need is Jesus. Right? He is where, where we find eternal life. He's the source of all life. It's what he did for us gives us eternal life. Now, I'm going to read a small section of something he says here in John 6. So we're going to read Jesus, the bread of life. We're starting in John 25. I'm going to go through a bunch of scripture because let's let scripture speak to us this morning. But I want to, as we let this speak to us this morning, I want to remind us why this was written. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were written for one purpose, to testify about Jesus. They were written, John, this was written to testify, to tell us about Jesus, to tell people to, to, that, uh, who Jesus was, why we can follow him, why we can trust him, to testify. So, Let's see how it testifies to us this morning. Jesus, the bread of life. John 6, 25. To set this up, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He fed 5,000 because he'd been doing miracles and people were thrilled with the miracles. And so then when they knew he was gathering somewhere, large crowds came to him. He had this giant crowd of people uh, there and they had nothing to eat. And so he did the miracle of the, the, the loaves of bread and the fish. And he, you know, with those couple of loaves of bread and couple of fish, he fed 5,000 people. And the people ate and they were satisfied and they were so satisfied. They had so much there was even left over to be collected. Then he goes off alone, he walks on water, he ends up in the boat, he's on the other side, and, and on the, these people that had been fed, they didn't see him walking on water, they had no idea how he got over to the other side, they just knew, he, you know, wh where's Jesus, where's the guy that fed us? 
And so they went looking for him. They went around. They realized he'd gone. And so he'd gone to Capernaum. So they went looking for him in Capernaum. And they found him. And this is where it started, where we pick up from. It says here, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. So first thing he says here that's really important is like, hey, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now this world, it has us working all the time for food that spoils. It tells us the most important thing that we do is work for food that spoils and for things that spoil and things that have no lasting value. It says that those are the most important things. And if we listen to that too much, then we don't actually have any time to work for the food that doesn't spoil. But it's interesting in terms of that term work, because they ask him, they say here in verse 28, they said, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answers that the, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And so then they said to him, so, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, it's interesting, right? I mean, these are the same people that were fed. They've just had a miracle of him taking the loaves and fishes and feeding them. They came to him to hear him speak because they'd seen and heard of all the signs he'd been doing. And now they're like, well, what sign are you going to give us now so that we can believe? And they bring up the reference of manna. And so he goes, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So and they say to him, Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven do, to do, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. So 
the Jews then started to grumble, it says. And they were grumbling because he'd said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the one that came down from heaven. Like, you know. And so Jesus knew they were grumbling, it says. And he says, stop grumbling. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise them up on the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give, will give for the life of the world. So now it takes it even more extreme. Hey, Jesus is going, I am the bread. I am the bread. Then he says, then the, then the Jews begin to argue, uh, sh- argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, people found that really hard teaching. It keeps, goes on. You know, people left. They, they left him. Many of those that were following him. It was very interesting. And they, they didn't understand. Some did. His disciples did. Some didn't understand what he was saying. Some wanted to kill him for what he was saying. But the importance of what this is testifying to us today is that that Jesus is the bread that we are to eat. At the end of the day, our intimacy, our relationship with Jesus, our dependence on Jesus, he is the one that has the food that we have to eat. It's Jesus. You know, it's that, it's the, the very thing that we are to feed on is Jesus himself. Now, it, you know, he's, we're not talking cannibalism. Jesus wasn't talking cannibalism e- either. And he wasn't talking about communion. There's some that do believe that. And there's some that would go, oh, well, this is a thing. But there's, there's different arguments either way. I would be very much in reading it in context. I would take the position with those that say this isn't a reference to communion. This is a reference to our intimacy and our absolute need and desire, uh, our need of Jesus every day. We need Jesus. We, the bread that we eat each day I, I, it's Jesus didn't say the bread that we eat is scripture. He said it's him. Scripture points us. It testifies to him. It's so important we feed on scripture or we read scripture. We understand it. 
that we know it, that we allow it to testify to us about Jesus. But without, with just scripture, I mean, Jesus also said to the, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees at one point earlier in John, or actually later, where he's like, you search the scriptures looking, thinking that the scriptures have eternal life, but you won't come to me. And if, if we don't come to Jesus, if Jesus is not where we truly find our meaning, our life, our everything, then we'll never be able to fully be satisfied. What Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago opened up the door that if we believe in, if we truly believe that he is who he said he is, if we truly believe in that he has a life and life abundant, if we truly believe that he is the good shepherd, if we truly believe that he is everything that we need, man, we're going to experience life in a very different way. I'm going to say something that you may go like, whoa, I realize how little I believe it. And you may go, what, what do you mean? I'm like, I, and I'm not saying I don't believe in Jesus. I just, I realize how self-sufficient I am and how not God-sufficient I am. And if we're honest with ourselves and if we really examine our lives and our thinking and if we allow God to truly speak to us, I think we'll be shocked at how little we go to Jesus for real food. And how little we actually depend on Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives and how much we actually just depend on ourselves. And how much we actually just live for ourselves and live for our own way. And I, it scared me when I looked at Matthew 25 and I realized, man, how far off have I gone? I lead a church, but how far off have I gone that I don't have time for the things that Jesus said are the most important and are the things that will determine my eternal destiny? It says, if you believe in me, this is what you'll do. And if I'm not going to him, if I'm not going to him, I'm not going to know what to do. I mean, it's incredible. And Jesus is saying things. There's so much. There's so much. When we talk about meat. There's so much in these few sentences that I read. There's so much. And you read John over and over and over again. And you're like, my goodness. The simplicity of following Jesus is incredible. We overcomplicate it so much. And I think it's a wonderful tactic of the enemy to get us to overcomplicate Christianity so that we don't actually live Christianity. Because we replace relationship with Jesus and intimacy with Jesus and absolute surrender and dependency on Jesus with all the excuses as to why we should be self-sufficient and independent, but still give praise to Jesus. Acknowledge with our lips, but deny with our life. And so I say this word soberly to us this morning because it's sober for me. That may we go to the one who has life and life abundant for us. Do we believe that his life that he has for us is abundant or are we going and trying to obtain abundant life for ourselves? Because if we believe, you know, there's, there's the world's definition of abundant life and then there's God says, I will give you life and life abundant. Psalm 23. 
Lord Jesus, as, as I'm standing here and I'm speaking, may we, may we eat of you. I pray, God, that we would know you as the only source of eternal life, Jesus. You, that you and you alone, you are King and our Lord, that, that we would see that it's you. That we wouldn't rely on anything else except you, but we'd allow you into every area of our lives. we would trust you with everything. Just become so aware that just become aware of, of what he is doing in you, that he's there with you, that he loves you, and that he really is the source of everything. He's not looking for your self-sufficiency. He's actually looking for your surrender. Everything that we come and offer is dirty rags but our conformity to him, our allowing him to transform our lives, this allowing us to surrender to him. When we do that, man, he becomes so big, he becomes so magnified, we see just the glory of God. You know, the, the wonderful thing about this COVID time, I don't, I don't believe that God sent it. I don't believe he, you know, he's brought it about, but I think he'll, he'll use it. And one of the things that he can use is to hey, get his church back. That our, our dependence on our programs and our ways of doing things and the glitter and, man, all the, all the shiny stuff that, that we think is attractive can get replaced by Jesus and and him being that which attracts and, and I, I think he's going to get his church back I know I know my desires for us at Lifehouse is that man that that I was saying this to our leaders. I'm like, I have absolutely no interest in leading an organization. But a community of believers in Jesus, that's a beautiful thing. And let's not try to look like the way the world says church is supposed to look and maybe even the way some other churches say it's supposed to look. Let's look at it the way that God says Lifehouse is supposed to look.